Welcome to Hockey Night in New York, where Islanders hockey always reigns supreme. Whether you were raised at the barn in Uniondale or born in the stable at Belmont, Hockey Night in New York is your home for all things Isles. Now, let's drop the puck and get this party started. Joining Hockey Night in New York is NHL veteran and former Islander Rob Shrimp, who played the better part of two years with the Islanders. Rob, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. No problem. To get to uh, your playing days, obviously, uh, you know, you went and played pro hockey in Europe after playing in the NHL. Was there anything special, unique that you came to appreciate, you know, compared to playing in North America? You know, the, the, the fan experience, uh, as far as being a player, was so different and unique in Europe. It was much more like a soccer and what they call here, obviously, football experience where the fans were, they had their chance and they were, you know, celebrating and chanting the whole game. That was something really different. You know, Freddie Meyer and I, we teamed up my first year over in Europe. I think it was Freddie's as well. We both teamed up in Moto in Sweden. And one of our first games, it was it's called the Derby game or, you know, it was, uh, you know, a really big rival game with Lulia. And before the game even started, we had to take a 30-minute break because they the two fan bases – were chucking road flares at each other. So it smoked, it smoked up the building. You know, it turned out to be a hooligan or something along those lines that really caused the crap like that. It, it usually doesn't go like that. It's usually chants back and forth and really intense. And But that it, that experience was really unique. And there was a cool place in Switzerland. It's called Bern. They have a fan section where it's, it's, it's basically from floor to ceiling. It's one concrete sort of wall. And the fans stand up the whole time and they're going nuts, hitting the drums and and that sort of thing. So it's really intense, and it was such a cool experience to be able to do that. You know, and that, that was something different. Where back in North America, I, I, you know, they both are unique in their own ways, and I, I like the North American one because as an individual, usually the fans get excited for that moment, whether it's a big hit or, you know, it's a great play. People are kind of sitting, and then when that big play happens, everybody gets excited, you get, and you could, as a player, have that moment. And the more you can do that, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a sugar rush. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I can't imagine the fans like soccer going nuts for hockey games that'd be incredible after you were done playing you got into coaching and a hockey mentor program so what made you want to get into more of a, a teaching role i just really enjoyed that part of it you know sort of giving back to the game and 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 give my sort of hockey iq to other players and help them see the game in a little bit different perspective and you know for me just helping players create offense i, I loved it and my old agent pat poloni he just reached out to me and he sent me this. It was Instat at the time. He said, Trimpy, play around with this and see what you think. And I started watching video and then I could diagram on there. And it became really fun to me. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And I, you know, I started getting my clips out and, and sort of getting it to players. And Patty Kane is an excellent at night. I just, I went through some of his stuff and sent him and, he, and his feedback was amazing. And he was like, this stuff is very good. So that actually that interaction with Kaner and, and a couple other guys, Perry and Dowdy, gave me the confidence to, to realize that, you know, what I was doing had benefit and players can watch the stuff and learn from it. So it wasn't just, you know, sort of a, yeah, I don't know how to say it, like a cute thing, like, oh, it's nice. You know, like that's different than, man, that, that clip told me a lot and it taught me something. So that, that was gratifying to me. And then I started getting into that role and working with players and the feedback's been great. And it's a lane that I really enjoyed. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun doing it. Obviously, you know, all NHL players and pro hockey players, they watch film, but obviously some watch more than others. Were you someone that was diving into film all the time? Is that something that you loved? Yeah, that was something you did before or after every game, things like that. 
Yeah, later in my career, it was more technology was there, right? In the beginning, it was VHS VHS tapes, and the coaches were yeah. whipping up. You know, it was like they weren't even whipping up clips. They were pressing fast forward and rewind. <laughs> so it was it was a little different era, you know, where, you know, at the end of my career in Red Bull, like you got an iPad, and right after the game, all your shifts were there. So watching that stuff, I was always dissecting and just seeing what I could do better or when I did good stuff, like what, why it worked. I always had that curiosity and sort of passion for the game. I, I love watching hockey. So also with the video stuff, my, you know, my wife was kind of like, you got to get back into doing hockey stuff. I'm, she didn't want to hear any more about power play setups and guys walking off the half wall. She's like, you got you to do something with this. So. She, she didn't want you at home either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. Um, for for young hockey players that maybe are listening right now or you know listening later and they want to make a career out of hockey, whether it's playing in the NHL or playing in Europe, you know, what's the biggest piece of wisdom that you could share? I think that the, it's kind of old school, but the, you know, doing reps, 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 practice, practice, practice. I think that's never going to go away. I think in today's era, that's a, it's a lot of sort of like instant gratification, and they see something on the highlights and. They don't realize the, the amount of effort and time and the amount of reps that guys do to conquer these sort of things or, you know, somewhat perfect them. You know, having the dedication to do so, if you want something out of this game, that's super important. Again, it's never going to go away. Some guys are born with raw talent, natural talent, but they still put in massive amount of reps and time into their craft. So, it's yeah, that that's always going to be there. And um, be a student of the game. I think, if again, if you want to make something out of it, it's okay if, if you are a hobby player and you just enjoy it and have fun. But if you're someone that wants to take it to the next level, uh, studying your craft, studying your game is, is super important. And, and you know, I, again, like I said a, a second ago, like the instant gratification thing, you know, I don't want to sound too old, but back in, you know, I was younger, we watched the whole games. We didn't have these, like, really fast snippets of highlights and, yeah. you know, small package, right? So, Watching, you know, watching the game and seeing how guys do things, the little details and study the game, study your craft. And that's really important. Yeah. So we, we've seen a shift and you've obviously seen it in the NHL where you went from more of the physical during the regular season to now it's speed and skill. I guess, do you feel your skill set maybe would have paid off more in today's NHL now that you're seeing all these crazy hand-eye coordination moves and the Zegerses and all things like that? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a different time back then. It was rough and tough, and it was more about, you know, that physicality in the game. And the, and the skilled stuff was sort of, it was just dipping its toe in it. You know, the, the rules and uh, the rules changed in 0405 in the lockout, and that, you know, that changed a lot. It just took a long time for the game to kind of catch up. I'd say about 10 years. So I think so. I think, you know, I was, I was a skilled guy, and I was trying different things back in that era. Um, yeah. So it was trying to break barriers, and, and it didn't, it didn't always sit well, but, you know, I think the game is so much different now. It's again, you know, taking out the the hooking and holding and the two line pass, all those adjustments that they made. You know, now we're seeing it. Like you see Connor McDavid speed, Jack Hughes speed. There's a lot of guys with McKinnons. You go down the list. Like you think of how many guys can fly now. It was just different back then. Bigger, like more obstacles, hooking and holding, and yeah, uh, totally different way of mapping out that space of the hockey rink and, and trying to get to the net. It was so hard to do and guys would fight tooth and nail back then. So now it's a little bit different. It's, you know, as D-man, you got to, it's more about, you know, your pivots and your footwork and uh, your gap, your timing and all that stuff is so much more crucial now. It's, it's such a unique game now. I, I yeah, I, I don't think about it every day, but I do think, you know, <laughs> well, just the amount of kind of creative space guys are allowed now at young ages. And that's the other thing I think back, you know, some years ago, it was a little bit more like, you know, you had to buy your time for like two or three years ish 
to get that freedom to have full, you know, full reign where now it's, they're really given opportunities. Those young bucks, you know, 18, 19, 20, so they kind of come right in and, and are, have that ability to, to sort of fail at certain things and, and be given some leeway. Yeah. I mean, speaking of just room and stuff, I don't know if you've watched a lot of the, the thrice league, the three on three league, but what do you think? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's great. I think, you know, anytime you can, you can grow the game in different areas and, and, and make it unique. I think it's awesome. You see a lot of skill there and it's just a different concept. We played it here in Latvia. We did it sort of a, it was three on three. And the way it worked was you, you couldn't sh- attack the net. Once you entered the blue line, you couldn't attack the net unless until you made one pass. And I, I thought that was a really cool, you know, okay, sort of yeah. uh, twist on things. Cause otherwise it just turns into, you know, like sort of a, a breakaway fest. So you had to have that strategy of like how to cheat that guy out and make plays. And then once he got over the zone, like the puck carrier would have the puck. And as a defensive player, you really didn't have to worry about him. You had to worry about coverage and blocking those other two guys. I just thought it was really cool. And seeing the three ice, I, I love the way it is. You see different guys get to, you know, like Swaggy P, yeah. um, somebody, Josh Avo. He was an ex-Islander property and these yeah, sort of guys. Island, yeah. Yeah, they get to shine and, and show their stuff. So it's, you know, there's other value. And I think you see it with like three on three basketball. You see that stuff. That's that's really cool. Latvia has a really good team. So I watch that quite a bit. It's just a different dynamic. And it, and it helps, I think, support the, the overall game of, of hockey. And, and that's, you know, it's what we want. Yeah, I know I've asked you about this before. People have asked you about your, your baseball swing goal against Colorado. Take me just through, you know, and it was happened in seconds. But the fact that, you know, you're catching the puck. As it's falling, is your mindset, I'm going to hit this out of midair? Or, you know, was there like, okay, maybe let it hit the ground first? Or was it just reaction? Yeah, you know, I was waiting. I, You know, Strider was walking the blue line. I remember it clear as day. Strider was walking the blue line. Franz Nielsen was up top. And I I found a nice little spot kind of open there. Went over to Franz, and I was kind of thinking like, hey, set me up for a one tee. And he walked into a bomb, and I just kind of watched it go on net. And then as it was up, it hit perfectly off of uh, Anderson's blocker. And it took a weird kick, you know, because he – Franzi shot it from the right side. It hit Anderson in the blocker and it kicked directly like over his head. And I'm watching this thing. And then at the same time, I seen Adam foot turn around and I'm like, Oh man, I better get this. I got to get this off quick. Cause he doesn't come over and, you know, tap you on the shoulder and let you know he's there. He comes over with a cross checker or something. So I remember seeing him and I'm like, man, I don't have time. So I just, I batted it with my hand. And as I batted, I got a nice touch on it and it just seemed to like levitate in the air. And I'm like, kind of like, screw it, take a swing at it. And I did, and it just once I made that contact, it, I kind of had a good feeling it was going in. Were you a baseball player growing up? Yeah, I, I grew up playing baseball until I was like probably 11 years old, and I switched over to lacrosse. Okay, yeah, lacrosse obviously helps with the hand eyes. So that's that's where you get all that from. That's great. I just wanted to ask you about D Sports Alliance. You know, if you could just tell us a little bit about what it is and how it offers a unique opportunity for sport fans. Yeah, you know, it's it's a really cool project, and, and I think it's. It's very unique. Pat Curcio, I've known him for a long time, and when he brought it up to me, it made a lot of sense. I just think it's a really good opportunity for the, the teams to interact with the fans, give them a unique experience, and, and with you know using NFTs and different sort of packages that offer them closer feeling to the players and to the experience. You know what you can expect. You know the way it works with teams is you know they can offer a special NFT. Uh, you know, somewhere along the lines of, you know, if you get this NFT, you can have a pick of the starting lineup or have a say in the starting lineup for the team. So little ways of like that to interact I'm using, you know, blockchain technology and, the, the, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's really unique and it, it's going to I believe it's going to help teams create revenue, create, you know, great experience for the fans and the team all around. So and then on the individual basis for players to, to sort of use their likeness and 
start to expand their brands on an individual basis, I think this is a really cool project as well. A very good opportunity, to, again, to get in this new technology, so to speak, with blockchain and, you know, crypto's on its way here. And it's, I think it's here to stay. I'm a strong believer in it. And I think it's it's smart for players to start maximizing their, their likeness and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, Locker Token and D-Alliance gives, gives that opportunity. And we're excited to roll it out and, and have people take advantage of that. So you mentioned crypto. I know it's a complicated thing for a lot of people. It's just a different type of thing. But how do you see crypto, you know, shaping the future of professional sports? Yeah, I think it's really it's going to be it's really unique in the sense like that, like the, the way to, to branch out and to sort of keep up with the times. You know, like gaming is really big right now. So the fans are changing what they like and the, the youth is changing and what they're interested in. So I think it's really a matter of that, of staying up with the times and sort of keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak and making these experiences something different and new again you have to evolve with the times and and keep the consumers so to speak happy and interested and i think it's really important for for both teams and players to to sort of get ahead of the curve here and take advantage of it i mean it seems like a a really cool thing what fans wouldn't want to be able to talk to you know players coaches general managers and give their thoughts because i mean you know from just playing in nhl especially islander fans they are uh, they they have a lot to say all the time but um (laughs) Uh, I want to yeah. ask you about shootouts. I don't know if you know your your stats, but you're nine for seventeen in shootouts, fifty two point nine four percent. That's fourteen best ever percentage wise, all time That's by the way. Bad. So yeah, tap yourself That's in the back cool. for that. What was the secret for you? Obviously, for, you mentioned Franz Nielsen. There's no really better better player to watch. I mean, that backhand move was just foolish. But yeah, you know, what 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 was it for you that just in shootouts it just clicked? I think it's really important to have an understanding of the goaltender and understanding of the space and, and timing. So I, I always came in on a certain angle and I would come in and I would hit a little pause and I just understood that that would, the goalies come out and meet you and they're trying to time your speed. So once you hit the pause and they back up a little bit, they can never gap back up. So once you buy that little bit of gap and then you start cutting through that middle of the ice, you create this big window. You're cutting across the ice and each step that you take, you're changing the face of the net continuously and that's very, very difficult for the goaltender. So once you're changing that and you're on a lateral motion and then you can buy the goalie's feet, if you, I mean, if you watch them, I kind of did the same move all the time because they, they have to bite. You're, you're walking right down the middle of the ice and you're threatening shot. You'll see the goaltender's ankles and their feet, they always flinch. And as soon as they drop, that's when you as a shooter have full control, so to speak. They're still NHL goalies. I remember I did it once on Ryan Miller, and he still almost he almost saved. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe how quick he was. But I bought his feet, and then I faked it. You know, I faked one more, and I went to my backhand, and he I just got it past him. But that's really important. So I see that's why I see a lot of players that kind of go and they mimic the moves without the understanding of why it works. And you know, it's just really important to understand that. And I understood that. I grew up shooting on a ton of goalies with Don Kern and Donnie Kern Jr. I always. Uh, we, he brought in goalies all over the place. So I got to really understand that position and how to sort of get them to bite on things and then what I would have after that. So that's how I, I got comfortable in that role. I, I really wasn't a shootout guy. Yeah. Uh, I'd yeah. only had one in junior that I can think. I had one shootout against my old buddy, Ryan McDonald. We didn't have a ton of shootouts. So when I got chucked into that role with the Islanders, it was, it was something that gave me a little bit of more value to the team and then something I started to thrive in. What were your, you know, fondest memories playing with the Islanders? What, what about, you know, the location, the teammates you had, maybe one or two good, good stories you got? Yeah, no, it was, it was my first NHL goal. It was amazing against Boston. I waited a long time for that. dreamt about that. I, I dreamt about it a little bit differently than, than bang, uh, <laughs> banking it in off from, you know, behind the back of the goal line. But, you know, if you see that, I was actually in my spot 
and Carl Posa was trying to pass it over to me and it just got disrupted on its way over. I had, I had big plans on that one timer that was coming over. <laughs> yeah. That goal, you know, really felt good. I celebrated. I almost broke Mark strikes back when I celebrated. I jumped into his arms. He almost went over backwards, but uh, that moment was really awesome. Uh, yeah, I remember great. We had great teammates there, you know, guys like Josh Bailey, Kyle Poso, Andy Sutton. It was a really close-knit family type of atmosphere, which was great. It made it feel comfortable for me. That was kind of my, really my break into the NHL where I got to be a day-to-day. You know, Ricky DiPietro was awesome. He was around me and him. used to play catch before the games with baseball mitts. <laughs> you know, I missed those moments a lot. And those were really things that stuck out to me and I had a lot of fun with those guys for, for the two years that I was there. Were you, uh, were you shocked to see Oposo become a captain in the NHL? No, his character is amazing. He's an amazing guy. Hard working. Yeah, just his character overall, like the kind of guy he was. He was such a good friend and teammate. Really cared about people gen- genuinely. You know, it wasn't a, a mask by any means. It was really who he was. So that that is no surprise at all. And I'm, I'm really happy for what he's had in the career and the uh, success he's had. And he's got a great family. So that's that's no surprise at all to me. And then obviously with everything that went on with Josh Bailey, um, you know, this, I'm not sure how much hockey, Islanders hockey, you did watch this bear, but it happened with Bailey and obviously he fell out of favor there and now he leaves the Islanders. He went to Chicago, gets bought out. Just what can you say about, you know, we know what he was like on the ice. He's a really cerebral player, really smart, but just in the room, because I think a lot of people don't really understand how much value he brought as a teammate. Yeah, Bales is in the same boat as Oki. Just the way he was, like, easy to be around. He was always fun and never really had a stressful day, so to speak. If he did, he didn't show it at all. Came to the rink every day with the same mentality and he worked hard. And, you know, he was a kid, so to speak. He's a few years younger than me at the time. So breaking it in. And, you know, it's not easy when you're young. And it wasn't even when I kind of got there, 23, 24. It's, it's tough to navigate your way through through that league. It's a very good league. And, and Josh was a young kid and he was the way he handled himself with, you know, his composure and, and work ethic was it was great. It was very consistent. And, you know, as a friend, we hung out a ton. A bunch of us lived right, right around each other over by Garden City Mall, I believe it's called. And yeah. uh, we had a ton of ton of dinners together, a ton of good laughs. And, and it was it was always easy being around Josh and his family. So, that, you know, they're great people. So it's you know, it's it's tough. It's Josh was there for a long time. He had a great career in Long Island. And, you know, like I like I mentioned, it's a very tough league. So it's you know, it's it's hard to keep up that pace. A couple more for me again. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I wanted to ask you, who was the funniest teammate you played with, whether it was the Islanders or, or not? funniest i think zen and kanopka is right up there yeah yeah zen and kanopka is right he was awesome he was so he was hilarious <laughs> he went through all this stuff like to get our we wanted to change the goal song because we wanted it to be ours and make it our own kind of thing and he did all this like sort of you know voting stuff and then he went you know up to the you know the marketing team in the office like a big ordeal it was, it was hilarious though it was good energy it wasn't negative it wasn't anything like that it was just the way he went about things and always organized the boys for sunday night football and Made sure everybody's getting together and having a good laugh. So he was, yeah, Zenon was an awesome guy, awesome teammate. And he was always, he had, whenever you're around Zenon, everybody was laughing. Unless you were on the ice and he was beating the crap out of you. Then yeah, that was, person yeah. wasn't laughing. Was um, so how much of the Islanders do you get to watch? I know the time difference probably makes it pretty tough. Yeah, the game started like three o'clock in the morning for me. So I, I got a, I got a chance to watch a few last year, but it's mostly getting up the next day and watching just on my hockey system and watching the, you know, the certain things that I want to watch. Yeah. Uh, whether it be power plays or shots on net, those sort of things are odd man rushes. I kind of break it down that way. So it's I, I pay attention and, and keep track of what's going on. So, uh, But I don't get a lot of – I mean, it kills me because 
three o'clock i'm in bed at like 5 36 my daughter's up at seven and uh, that's a horrible day so yeah. a couple of those commitments but it's tough to do on a nightly basis obviously again speed and skill that was your game watching a guy like matthew barzell transition from a center to a wing you know what of the highlights you did see you know what did you see from his game that kind of gives you the confidence that he can be a winger in this league yeah you know his edge work and his speed is is phenomenal and he's got that he's got that blow past your speed as as a player and for him, it's just, you know navigating the ice is is really you know it's not easy to jump from center to wing. Figuring out that spacing and timing is, is very tough. But I think the benefit that he has is, is his explosiveness and the way he tacks over the line and drives deep, deep, and then cuts back. You know his edges it's unbelievable. That full speed, he can stop on a dime and transition, and then find plays. So definitely a dynamic player, and I think you know he'll just keep adjusting more and more and better and better as he goes on here. All right, last one here. Obviously, you do coaching now. Is there any aspirations to get a coaching job in the NHL? Is that something you want to do? Is that something you're seeking to do? Or maybe that's just like, hey, if it happens, it happens. Yeah, I, I definitely would love that. That would be something that's definitely a goal of mine in the future is to, to make it back to that level and you know do some stuff now with some consulting things and, and doing power play stuff for teams. And that's been a fun role to kind of you know get in there and, and have an impact and sort of show what I can help with and, and what my strengths are. So definitely a goal of mine and we'll see how it works out or how it, you know, what it takes to get there and, and to be, a, you know, get into that side of it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I love teaching. I love giving back and I love the strategizing of hockey. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play for a lot of good coaches. So definitely absorbed a lot. You know, I lo- again, the strategy part of it during the season. And then when it comes playoff time, whether it's systems and structure and mentality, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love that, you know, that aspect of the game. Just a follow, yeah, just a follow up to that one. You mentioned power play. The Islanders power play, you know, was third worst in the NHL this past year. And it was a major issue getting into the playoffs, obviously, waiting until game 82 and then what happened in the playoffs. Anything you saw in the Islanders power play that, you know, maybe could be better? Obviously, getting into the zone without Barzal made life very tough and no one no one really could do what he could do there. But anything you, you saw in their power play that, hey, you know, maybe maybe it could have gone a different way if something else happened? Yeah, I know. I made some. I made some clips up and and watched. I broke it down and and uh, produced some clips. You know, just puck distribution, the timing on the passes, and I think it's you know with power play, it's an it's a chess match and it's a bit of an art. It's really important to understand the what and the why, and when you know the puck distribution's got to be smart and timed properly. So I think that you know could have been a little bit better and the puck decision. So that's when it goes sour. It's, you start making some bad decisions or, you know, turn the puck over, you find yourself breaking out a lot. Once you start doing that, the, the group starts losing confidence and then you start finding it where they start shifting players in and out of units. It's tricky. So it's, it's really important that the, the puck distribution and how you're attacking the goalie, so to speak, I think it's uh, super important understanding when to attack the goaltender. I, I find a lot of power plays are talking about, you know, the structure of it, like the one, three, one, or the, yeah. You know, overload. But what we don't talk a lot about is actually like, let's just focus on when to attack the goaltender. And that should be a main core value to the power play because it doesn't always have to be perfect. And I think the NHL does a great job with the net cam from behind. When you watch a power play, you'll see like three or four opportunities where you're like, oh man, you should have shot it. And what you'll focus, if you zoom in on your focus, is that the player with the puck didn't even look at the net. So that tells me right away, like there's not that mentality of attack the goaltender, attack the net. And that's that's important. Every time you get the puck in the PP, you know, that first look should be, can I attack net? And then we play from there. Yeah, the Islanders' last two goals came off just basic wrist shots from the point with bodies in front. So that makes a lot of yep. sense. Rob, yep. thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I do appreciate it and talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good one. 
Thanks for tuning in to another special edition of Hockey Night in New York, presented by Blue Line Deli in Vegas. And thanks to Rob Shrimp for giving us a fantastic spot. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe at YouTube, Twitch, and your favorite podcast provider. You can follow us on all social media platforms at username at HockeyNightNY. You can follow Stefan on Twitter, or whatever it's called these days, at Stefan underscore Rosner. And you can follow absentee host Sean Cuthbert at Sean and Hockey. This has been Hockey Night in New York, and we hope you've been great. Don't forget to spread the word, and we'll see you next time.